Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. The Ten Commandments, as we said in our last program, they seem pretty straightforward. Do this, don't do that, end of story. Well, Dr. Jennings has gone through with us on the first five commandments, and he has shown us how these commandments are not what people think. They are not this list of laws that God has put forward that shows that we're good or bad or or worthy of him or not worthy of him. He says the Ten Commandments are a diagnostic tool that we use to identify that we're off track, we're sick. He said they're sort of like an MRI. The MRI identifies that we have a problem, but the MRI doesn't fix the problem. It is just that, a tool to find out that we're not on the right track, and we should compare our lives to the Ten Commandments. And if you're like most people, you can say, hmm, I think I need to go see the doctor, the great physician, Christ himself. Also, the Ten Commandments, according to Dr. Ding's last time, is a hedge of protection to keep us from going astray and hurting ourselves and hurting others. And it also leads us to Christ, not takes us away, not hides us from, not makes us afraid of, but leads us to Christ. Well, we talked about the first five, and we learned that there is worship involved there, there is sowing and reaping, there is rest involved there, there is a actual health benefit to honoring our mother and our father. And these are beautiful health rules that the Lord has put out in those Ten Commandments. And now, Dr. Jennings, we're continuing on with number six. These are all, by the way, found in Exodus chapter 20. And these are the Ten Commandments as God delivered to Moses on Sinai. Dr. Jennings, what did God have in mind, other than it's not a good idea to do this, when it says, you shall not murder? Unpack that for us. What's the bigger picture? Again, we need to understand God's law under the idea of design law, Mm -hmm. how life is created to operate. And these Ten Commandments were given to a people who had just come out of slavery. They were distillation, as we talked about last time, of the great principles of love. Love will your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the principles of love, do you ever send your first grader out to school and say, hey, I want you to have fun on the playground today, but be sure not murder anyone? <laughs> no. You don't think yeah. to say that. Yeah. It's not in the heart of a first grader to do that. Yeah. Okay? It's not needed. But what's it say that God needed to actually inform mm-hmm. us not to murder people? My. Okay, there's something seriously wrong with our hearts and minds. And so Paul tells us in the New Testament, writing to Timothy, regarding the written law, the Ten Commandments, the written law, again, it's a diagnostic instrument. It diagnoses sinfulness or corruption in the characters, hearts, minds of people, because God's law is not written in the heart and mind, which is the new covenant. He does this. The principles of love are gone. We have fear and selfishness operating. And so... God provided this tool to expose our sickness so we'll come to him for transformation and healing. It's not a codification of a hard work system we have to live by or rules in a legal judicial manner. It is merely a diagnostic tool. And so in 1 Timothy, he writes to Timothy regarding the Ten Commandments, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous But for the lawbreakers Mm. and rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God he entrusted to me. And so the point being here, you don't have to tell a first grader not to murder. That law is not needed for a first grader. 
it's not in their heart to do it. But if it's in the heart to do it, then you've got to set up a system and you might even set up a, a, a human government to restrain murderers from murdering and rapists from raping because without that, there's nothing but brutality and chaos. But restraining by human government does not make enemies into friends, does not transform heart, does not resolve the sin condition. And so the law that God gave was first and foremost to diagnose and people can look into, oh my goodness, I, I really do want to murder. I really do want to commit a adultery. There's something wrong with my heart. Lord, there's something sick in me. Change me because I want to be like that. Unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about the innocence where it's not in your heart to do evil. That's what God wants to restore in us, the purity of Christ, where it's repulsive and revolting for us to even think about doing evil. So if we have an anger that is so great in us that we actually consider murdering someone, the Ten Commandments is simply saying, hey, you have a problem. You are a sick person as far as your relationship with God is concerned. You need to go back to God. You need to ask him for that hedge of protection around you. You need to make some changes. It's not a condemnation. It's a recommendation. Emotions certainly can be used to tempt us down bad pathways, but anger can also be righteous. That's true. Um, in your anger, sin not. It depends on the focus of the anger. If someone sins against you and you're angry over it, why are you angry? Is it because you got offended and you want to retaliate and you want to make them pay for what they did to you, then that's sinful anger. If on the other hand, the person who did it was your firstborn son and you saw that their action was hardening their heart, corrupting their character, and you're angry at what's happening to them and the sin that's destroying them and you want them to be free and restored, then your anger is righteous anger. So it's not just about the anger. But the question about the murder, yes, the idea of murder is about you taking someone else's life for basically living out the principles of the survival drives, me first. I'm going to protect myself by killing others. I'm going to advance myself by having domination over others. And it may not actually be literal murder. It may be murdering their reputation. It may be murdering their business. So just so yours can get ahead. We're not talking with honest producing a better product. You come out with a word processor and a computer and typewriters go out of business. We're not talking about that. (laughs) We're talking about the purposeful sabotage of somebody else's business so that yours can advance. That's the same principle whether you actually literally kill someone or not. And so if the heart is is against rather than trying to build up in love, then this is an act of, of willfulness to hurt and tear down others to advance self. The problem is selfishness in the heart. And that's why if one who breaks the law on one point breaks it on all points, because all aspects of God's law or revelations are, are carrying out the principles of love. All right. Okay, Dr. Jennings, let's look at commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery. What was God trying to tell us about his love by giving us that commandment? It depends what your law lends when you look at these things. Mm -hmm. Under design law, adultery is about betrayal of trust. Mm. Under imposed law, adultery is about the behaviors you engage in. Under imposed law, and the way many Christians view it, adultery is about how you use your body. And once you've been married, you can't use your body in those same intimate ways with other people. And if you do, then you've committed adultery. But anything short of that is still not adultery. It has to have bodily activity. Jesus said, if you look at another one with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Jesus knew it was never really about the conduct. It was about the loyalty of the heart. And that's why the people of Israel were constantly called an adulterous people, because they were giving their heart's 
loyalty to false gods. And so when you commit yourself in marriage to someone, you're actually not committing your genitals to them. You're committing yourself to them to be loyal, to be faithful, to put yourself in harm's way, to sacrifice self for the benefit of other. Greater love is no man that he gives his life for a friend. How much more for the spouse? And that is the principle of love. And so adultery is betraying that trust. And it may take the form of sexual intimacy with another person, but it can take many other forms as well, including a man who beats his wife because she doesn't have dinner ready on time. Mm. That is betraying his trust to love and cherish her above all others. And that is a form of adultery. And it's also a form of diagnosis. If we are involved with that, we, uh, we need to look at ourselves and say, we need help here. Okay. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. What's happening there? Same thing. It's about advancing self over others. This is survival drives me first. It's also an evidence of distrusting God. I have to steal in order to get ahead because God won't provide for me. So it's really about self-sufficiency, self-reliance, exploiting another person to advance self and distrusting of God. All right. And then commandment number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What exactly does that mean? How can we give false testimony against our neighbor? So notice the principle here. The Bible, it's very interesting. There's, we could have a whole show potentially on this, but the Bible never says directly, thou shalt not lie. Mm-hmm. It says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. In other words, speaking about someone else's reputation, hurting them, undermining them, misrepresenting them, whether in court or whether in community or whether in church. In other words, this is an act of anti-love. It's an act mm-hmm. of aggression. It's, it's designed to hurt another person. But lies in and of themselves, there's a thousand ways. I know people get caught up in this this hyper-religiosity and hyper-scrupulousness in which they feel guilt and they come to see me with a form of OCD because they haven't said things that are exactly true all the time. Someone asked, did you just come from Chattanooga and you're in Atlanta? And the person says yes, but in fact they stopped on the way to pick up something at a store in a, a different city and now they go, oh no, I lied. I didn't come just from Chattanooga. Oh, I made one stop on the way and I came from that city. My. Okay, so I, I bore false witness. And, and no, that is not a lie. It is not bearing false witness against your neighbor. It's simply not telling everything exactly the way it is. It's it's understood that all those things aren't included. But many people have this type of, of self-guilt because they don't understand the principles involved. Okay. Have you ever been in church in the lobby and someone says, how do you like my new dress? Oh my. <laughs> how in the world can we tell the truth? The commandment is thou shalt not bear false witness. In other words, against thy neighbor. I see a million different ways Christians do all the creative ways they can lie so they don't feel guilty about lying. Mm-hmm. The truth, if they just told the unvarnished is truth, they would say, well, actually, no, I think it makes you look fat and hideous, okay? <laughs> but they won't say that. No, um, no. <laughs> they will say things that are euphemisms, or sometimes people will, I will lie. You're at somebody's house for, for potluck, and they go, oh, I just tried this new recipe. How do you like it? Constant ways people will shade the truth, so to speak, mm. and not tell the real truth for fear of hurting someone's feelings. And uh, the Bible is not speaking about these things, these ways we are gently say things in ways that are that are not cutting and hurtful. And we might say things about the dress. Oh, that, that certainly is uniquely you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I'm going to remember that. That's a good answer. I like that answer. Whenever I see that dress, I'm going to think of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> good. <laughs> people do that. But they're really trying to be evasive. But that's not bearing false witness against them. There's no intention to harm or injure. And that is really what the commandment is about, intentions to harm and injure. And then we could even think of uh, situations, and I'll give you one, 
as a psychiatrist, I have both legal, moral, and ethical responsibilities to maintain confidentiality of my patients. Mm -hmm. And how about if a pastor comes to see me as a patient, and that's the only place I've ever known them or met them, and then somebody else meets me in in a community and says, oh, do you know my pastor so-and-so? Now, how am I supposed to answer that question if the only way I know their pastor so-and-so is as my patient? Am I supposed to say directly, well, morals and ethics of my job as a psychiatrist requires that I'm not able to answer that question? <laughs> no. If I said that, that's bearing a, a, a true witness, but it's a hurtful witness against my neighbor. I'm hurting the pastor. What would happen in some people's minds to find out the pastor is seeing a psychiatrist? Yeah. Maybe he's seeing a psychiatrist because he wants to deal with an addiction he has, and he wants to deal with it because he knows it's wrong. But does the church need to know he's struggling with an addiction? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The point being is I, I have to say, no, I don't know them. Yeah. And yeah. I understand that in the context. I don't know them socially. I don't know them in the community. I'm not speaking professionally here. I'm speaking as a person in the community. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Dr. Jennings, we have about 60 seconds here. Give us a one-minute version of what God had in mind when he said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything else that's there. That is the key to them all. The covet one is what brought Paul to his knees because all the others you can do behaviorally. But the covet one is is something that actually exposes the truth of all of them. None of them are actually behaviorally driven. None. They're all about the attitudes and the conditions of the heart. And that's when Paul realized that even though he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and kept all the rules his whole life, he was still a sinner because his heart had never been changed. And as long as you have in your heart to murder your neighbor or to commit adultery, even though you don't, you still are unconverted and you're still self-centered and God's law is still not reproduced in you. And so the 10th commandment is the key to understanding all of them. All right. Very good. Dr. Jennings has been going over the 10 commandments in the last two programs. And listener, if you missed the first one, I invite you to comeandreason.com where you can listen to the program before this one and this one and all the other programs Dr. Jennings has made. Television programs, books to read, sharing tracks to share, the remedy to read. It's just Just go there and you're going to be amazed. Comeandreason.com. This program was sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.